Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. When you're oriented in a particular direction, you, you feel settled. Like if you've been traveling it for a while, things are comfortable, you're familiar with the way things work. But then comes something like um, out of the blue, like COVID, um, which, you know, challenges are interesting. We do like challenges because challenges tend to be those things that we decide we want to take on. <laughs> Whereas trials, hmm, not so much. <laughs> Trials tend to be those things that we didn't necessarily want to come along and, uh, and yet it seems that the Lord has an amazing way of taking any trial and shaping it in such a way that it will actually produce good. I mean that's what Romans chapter 8 says, he turns all things for good for those who love him I'm just checking the edge. <laughs> and are called according to his purpose. So he's not saying that everything is lovely, like it's, things aren't all good for people who love him. That's not it at all. In fact, history tells us from the outset that if you follow the path of Christ, it has this period of suffering and trial and also glory and resurrection. I mean, the whole pattern of Christ's death and resurrection is essentially a pattern of understanding what our lives are like in this world. So disorientation, this, dis, this disruption can often leave you grasping. You're, you're grasping for things to hold on. You're wondering where is your foundation? What are you planting yourself on? And this last three months, if there's anything that the Lord has been speaking to me about, which I want to share with you, or at least a part of, and you can take it for yourself and wonder if the Lord is speaking to you about it, um, is to be reminded of our origins. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be one who professes that Jesus is Lord? And what is that place of origin? What is the foundation that we sit on? Now, there's a few things that um, that, that would entail, but the thing that I'm going to present to you this morning is about holiness. How many of you like the subject of holiness? <laughs> Yeah, great. <laughs> I've got a few takers on that one. Um, holiness tends to make people nervous. And because we all know that God is holy, he's utterly other, and when we start looking and examining our own lives, well, we can get a little nervous, a little hot, you know, just uncomfortable because we realise that even if we might have our outward life looking pretty good and pretty polished, we all know what's within and I think one of the biggest challenges for Christians <laughs> is not the things that you face outwardly at all. It's whether or not you're prepared to do what I think is the biggest challenge of all, is take the journey into your own heart. I think the heart terrifies. Because you've been formed and shaped in ways and you've been beaten and battened and wounded in your lives in such ways that you've built fortresses around certain things that cause you to do and behave in certain ways that you know isn't good, but you're not even sure where it's coming from because actually the depths of the darkness that sometimes exist in there, just don't want to go there. And I think holiness um, is, is like bringing a massive neon spotlight into the depths of your soul <laughs> and if we're in the world then we can feel judged and we can feel criticized but what is misunderstood about the Lord so often 
is that when he brings the light in, he does it in such a way that it's like it melts the coldness of your heart. It melts down things. He, he does it in such a way that you discover how tender and gentle he holds the very things that are so fragile within us. And so when people talk about holiness, or at least have heard about it, I think one of the reasons it causes them to tremble is perhaps because it's been taught in a fairly legalistic manner. As if it's this burden that is put upon you because if you're not holy, then you're not being Christian. And that unfortunately has ruined both people's perspective of holiness and their desire to even pursue it. It sounds like the insurmountable command to be holy as God is holy. So I want to talk to you about that this morning because I want to give you a fresh perspective on it. I want you to walk out of here and actually see that holiness is beautiful. It's a thing to be desired. It's a thing to be greatly pursued and it's actually one of those fundamentals that run through history that God has always been wanting to do with his people. He wants a people who are holy. Part of that is asking the question, what does that mean? But from the beginning (laughs) of history right through to the end, he's looking for a people who are holy and set apart for him. So Exodus 7 is where I'm going to start. And this is something uh, we'll look at a number of passages through Exodus. We'll go through what it was in the Old Testament. And just in case you thought holiness was exclusively for the Old Testament (laughs) people i'm going to show you actually nothing changed when the new covenant came through christ just the empowerment and the means by which we get there changed quite dramatically so exodus chapter 6 verse 7 moses is being instructed to set his people free set god's people free and he's gone and had his crack with pharaoh and saying let him go and pharaoh said no and and not only is moses a bit despondent about that Um, the people are really angry because Pharaoh's gone and up their workload and so Moses is talking to the Lord and saying, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? So in this context, he's saying, well, go to the people of Israel and say this. This is verse 6, starting from there. I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment and I will take you to be my people And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you up from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So you see in this passage, this little passage, uh, God is speaking to Moses, chapter 7, right at the center of this is that statement, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. Well, this pops up again in Exodus 19, because now we are... We've had the Passover, all the plagues, we've gone through the Red Sea, we've come to Mount Sinai and this is where the Lord is coming to speak to his people and, he, and they're being prepared for the Lord to come down on this mountain and speak directly to them. And in this, Moses is being told in 19 verse 5 of Exodus, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. So just a point here to note about what does it mean to be God's people. It means to be his treasured possession. That ought to uh, encourage you. (laughs) I mean, just think of how do you deal with your treasured possessions? Do you just leave them out in the rain to wither and rot? (laughs) No. 
Your treasured possessions is something you hold dear, that you, you protect, that you guard, that you, you, you know, if, the, if it's like silver, you want to keep it clean, you want to keep the tarnish off it, you will protect and look after it. And if you're going to, uh, if your house is burning down and you're thinking, well, what am I going to take with me? You're going to look for your treasured possessions. So to be a people of God is to be his treasured possession. And this informs something about what it means to be holy, to be set apart. He says, I will keep, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples of the earth. And here's this extension to what it means to be the people of God. He says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What happens after that? We get to Exodus 25 and now God is starting to explain how he is going to abide and dwell among his people. And we have this detailed instruction about the tabernacle. And how many of you read through that? <laughs> it's a bit like Leviticus, only shorter. You know, you've got a tent this many cubits long and this many high and this many wide and you've got an ark. And, you've, and so we can get lost in the detail and it, it can be a bit of snooze material if we don't really understand what's going on. But it's, you know, every aspect of that tabernacle has significance. It's well worth going and doing a study on it because it'll just open your mind to a whole new world of the way in which God does things and his particularity. So here he is describing the, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, sorry, describing the tabernacle, and he begins with the Ark, which had the cherubim over it, and this is where his presence was going to literally come down and dwell and be among the people. And he moves outward all the way past the brazen altar and everything to the tent of meeting. And so we have this picture of a tabernacle in which God is going to dwell and then he gets to chapter 29 and now he starts dealing with the priests and it and then what he's doing is he's starting to consecrate things he's going to consecrate the people who serve him and, and minister on his behalf and he's going to consecrate everything and that word consecrate funnily enough is the same root word that produces the word holy and holiness and sanctification so to consecrate means to set apart or to be made holy. We get to the end of chapter 29 and then Moses is going up the mountain and all of a sudden Aaron's uh, getting the people to, <laughs> to melt the gold and make an idol. So things are going a bit rough by here. So we get to chapter 33 and God's not happy. So he says, You shall go up into the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you lest I consume you, for they are a stiff-necked people. <laughs> so things aren't going great. The Lord wants a people who will be his people and he will be their God. And they're supposed to be a holy nation and yet off the bat they are just completely missing it. They're craving the idols of old from Egypt. They're looking for another God. And as a result, God's going, well, if they're going to be like that, how can I deal with such a people who even at this point who have experienced such miraculous things, been delivered from the slavery of Egypt, seen the, the, the Red Sea part, they've walked through it, they've watched me destroy their enemies. They've been provided in the desert with fresh water and food. And here I am at the mountain, they've heard my voice, they've trembled and recognized that they have heard the voice of the Lord speak out of the Mount Sinai and yet they have lived. And as soon as Moses disappears... <laughs> off making an idol. Moses intercedes for them. And one of the things he says about this is what I find amazing. 
because he's saying how you know who will go with us in verse 16 he says for how shall it be known that i have found favor in your sight and i your people is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct i and your people from every other people in the face of the earth moses is saying an amazing thing here he's saying we could have all the the commands of god we could have the tabernacle everything we go but unless the presence of the lord goes with us there is nothing that distinguishes us from anyone nothing to distinguish us from the rest of the other peoples of all the other nations and so god is saying i want a people who are my people what does that mean it means to be a people of his presence It progresses. We get to Exodus chapter 40 and we see a consecration process take place. And once everything is completed, we see the the lifeblood of the animals sanctifying and consecrating everything. And then once that's all done, chapter 40, verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all those of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys." This uh, appears, it's a bit more detail in, in Numbers uh, chapter 9. But essentially what they were called to do, once that presence came, was wake up in the morning, look out their tent, and if they saw the cloud over the tabernacle, they would remain. But if the cloud had lifted, they would pack up and they would move. In other words, their lives would be led by the presence of God, and they had to look for it daily. So we have God saying, I want a people who will be my people and I will be their God. And that meant to be a people of his presence. And what does that mean? You have to be consecrated, set apart. You have to be holy. And the presence of God comes and then you live your lives watching and looking and being guided by the very presence of God. I find this amazing. And... Then we get the commands in Leviticus 19, chapter 20. He's saying to the people, be holy, for I am holy. You know, I think, um, I don't know why holiness has fallen out of favour. I, I, can, I can take a punt. <laughs> like, uh, for one, people don't like it. <laughs> because it actually, God's saying you have to do certain things. And, and let's face it, no one likes being told what to do. <laughs> which I find a little ironic because, you know, actually as a Christian, if, you, if you're a believer and you've confessed that Jesus is Lord, well, well you've actually said that his will and not mine be done. <laughs> Are we all like that? Are we all just completely submitted? No, we find ourselves wanting to resist. But the mere fact that we declare Jesus as Lord says we will want to surrender to do his will. So I can't imagine that any of you would be against holiness simply because you don't like being told what to do because that wouldn't be you. As I said earlier, I think maybe part of the reason is that holiness, as I've said, has been, has been described as this legalistic or this burden that we cannot fulfill. And 
the reality is if you think of that command be holy for i am holy there's this what what would be called a cognitive dissonance <laughs> that's really just a like saying you just had a brain snap because you can't handle the idea of a holy god and then being told to be like him when you know very well that that's an impossible task and if you've ever been given an impossible task to do and then told to do it you know that you might even try it for a little bit but it's an act in futility because you can't you can't, fit, that's the idea of an impossible task, <laughs> you can't do it. Uh, <laughs> so, so, but we don't really want to admit that because it tells us in Scripture. And so then some people say, well, oh, maybe it's just an Old Testament thing that grace covers everything. But just in case you thought that, uh, Peter had a, had a different perspective on that. And he actually quotes some of these passages from Exodus, but he's talking about believers. Let me find it. First uh, Peter chapter 1. Verse 15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And then in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Sound familiar? A people for his own possession. This is what I'm talking about, that trajectory that runs through all of history, that he has not changed in his intent and his purpose for all of us and every generation. So when you're in a place of disruption and disorientation and everything around you seems to be shifting and you don't know what's up or down, one of the things that's so beautiful about the Lord is knowing that there are certain things that are unchanging about him. The first thing is he is unchanging in his character. He does not change. There's no shadow of turning in, in thee. It's not like he's light one day and dark the next. He is just completely unchanging. He is faithful. He is a loving God. He is steadfast in his love toward you. Even though your circumstances might challenge you and tell you, hey, maybe God's not as good as you really think he is, that you don't understand the pain and the trial that you're going through. And I understand some people... Some people face trials that none of us would dare even want to get a taste of. And yet we see certain faithful saints in the face of those things yet declare the glory and the goodness of God. Because God is unchanging. And I think one of the reasons is they know who he is. And they know what it is like to have his presence with him. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. This is why I love Psalm 23. Because when you journey through the valley of the shadow of death, it says, I wouldn't fear no evil for his staff is with me and his rod, uh, rod was with me and his staff will comfort me. And then it says, he prepares a banquet table before, uh, before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, when you get to that darkest place of your life, when you get to the place where you think you're surrounded by enemies and it's all over and you're just, you're, you're all like hunkered down because you just think this thing is going to destroy you. All of a sudden the Lord says, look up. And he's smiling at you and there's a table there present and he's saying, come eat. He's completely oblivious to what's going around you because he is light. I mean, a darkness can't even step in. Can you imagine darkness trying to step into light? <laughs> it can't. It's like it, light turns on and boom, darkness is gone. This is where God exists. And he draws us into that place. But so often it feels like we go through these dark valleys. And yet the most wonderful thing is to discover him in that place. 
because you can go to the heavens and he's there. Well, that's great and that's obvious. But when you discover him in the depths of your despair, that's a glory and a goodness that I can't communicate to you. You only have to, unfortunately, (laughs) discover it for yourself. But there will be saints throughout history that have testified to the unchanging, faithful, loving nature of God in the most dire of circumstances. That wasn't exactly where I intended to take that, but (laughs) what I'm saying is unchanging and what is unchanging about what he wants for you and me, this whole disruption and, you know, you want to disrupt the flow of church. Coronavirus has certainly done it. Overnight, just halted everything and and he's saying, who are you and what are you about? And I think what he's saying to his people, he says, I want holiness not in, a, in an angry way. He's saying, this is who you are. A holy people. And this is who you ought to be, therefore. So this is that idea of not working out of what you see in yourself, but working out from who God says you are. Why do we sing that song? I am who I say I am. Are you the righteousness of God? Yes, you are. Why? Because he declared it to be so. Are you loved by him? Are you the beloved? Yes, because he declared it to be so. Are you forgiven of all sin? Yes, because he declared it to be so. Sometimes it's just hard actually accepting the word of the Lord on your life because it contradicts what you've been taught or what your heart's been taught. So even getting to the point where you have to receive that, you actually surrender everything that people have been telling you all your life and take hold of the one who you cannot see and trust that what he says is true and everyone else is a liar. Holiness. If this is who we are to be, this is an identity marker. This is the thing about holiness. Holiness is not just behavioral. It's actually part of your integral being. This is what's supposed to characterize you. It's an essential marker for the Christian faith. Because back to Moses when he says, if we do not have your presence, then how are people going to know? And the only way you can really have that presence of God is to set yourself apart, which means to become holy. And the beautiful thing about the new covenant that we have in Christ that the prophets of old longed to see was the fact that we became the tabernacle of the Spirit of God. You're looking at that impossible task and Jesus has said, yes, I know it's impossible, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to die on your behalf. I'm going to shed my blood and I'm going to be raised again. And if you believe in me, If you receive me, I'll give you eternal life and I will send another helper. I'll send the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is given to you to empower you to do that which was never able to do under the law, that you're never able to do on your own. So all of a sudden that command, be holy for I am holy, becomes possible. (laughs) Not because of our own strength or might or anything else, but by yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit Anytime you think, I've got to work this out by myself, that's a lie. 
Anytime you think I've got to do better, mm, no. I think you just need to learn what it is to be loved by God and surrender and yield to the work of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. What does the Beatitudes start with? It says, blessed be the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. It's really saying, blessed be the one who recognizes that in and of himself he has nothing to bring. Nothing of spirit. Blessed are they because God gives them the spirit and the kingdom of God, the reign of God. It's this kind of, it's this weird paradox where you, you're, you've got nothing and you have everything. <laughs> you possess nothing in yourself and that you possess everything because you possess the very spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 5 also tells us something about God's intent. He's talking about husbands and wives, but actually what he's getting to is what Christ has done for the church. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I'm not going to address the husband-wife thing. I just want you to see that Christ, in his work, in the death and resurrection, and what he is currently working at is to bring his people, the church, to himself in splendor. So here's a key to understanding how to reframe what you think about holiness. That holiness is not this terrifying thing or this negative thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. It's splendor because the splendor is that which is described as being without splot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Have ever you, any of you felt what it's like to be in the presence of God and just confess your sin and suddenly be cleansed? Has anyone actually experienced that? Is that not a beautiful thing? Psalm 96 is something I've meditated on a bit and there's this one line in it and it's, it's exalting the name of God and it's great. And then it gets, it's, it's a beautiful psalm. I'll just turn to it actually. before the prophets <laughs> my fingers are cold that's what it is fingers are cold <laughs> so exalting the name of the lord ascribing glory and strength to him and then it gets to verse 8 it says ascribe to the lord the glory to his name bring an offering to his court sorry verse 9 worship the lord in the splendor of holiness tremble before him all the earth worship the lord in the splendor of holiness now my mind immediately goes to this idea well we're worshiping god in his holiness right the splendor of his holiness but actually it doesn't say that it says that worship him in the splendor of no article in the splendor of holiness and it made me think i thought well hang on a sec is he talking about the psalm here is it talking about the splendor of god's holiness it doesn't seem to say that it says worship in the splendor of holiness and I think actually what it's really saying 
is that in your holiness there is a splendor when you worship. So when you are in a holy place, when you are cleansed, set apart, you know that God has made you clean, there is a splendor in worshiping God. He's saying worshiping God in that state. Well, how do you get into that state? (laughs) Nothing changes. Repentance. Confessing of sin and knowing that the Lord is faithful to forgive. He says anyone in 1 John, it says anyone who is, uh, says he has no sin, he deceives himself. But anyone who confesses their sin is quick to be forgiven by the Lord and, uh, and he will forgive them and it says then he will cleanse them from all unrighteousness. So there is a possibility that as far as you can tell, to the best of your knowledge in your heart and your mind, that you can be put in a place of holiness before God because you actually practice repentance in your life. Holiness is a beautiful thing. You know, Galatians five, chapter two. Uh, so, Galatians chapter five, verses twenty-two to twenty-three. Here's another way of looking at holiness. Uh, again, this is probably a passage many of you have heard before. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, humility, self-control. Probably missed one there. Um, we think of that as a, a fruit, and uh, sometimes people think that as a work. It's not. It's the fruit. Have you ever seen a tree bear fruit before? Yeah, so people think that that stuff, and it's good to, if you're not patient, it's good to exercise it. But actually the presence of God is supposed to do something in your life. When you learn to abide with Him, just that abiding alone starts bearing a different kind of fruit in your life. I used to live a couple of hills down the road. I used to live in Rollystone. <laughs> and just down the hill was an orchard. And on this orchard, there's uh, mandarin trees and plum trees. And, and uh, probably shouldn't confess this. Well, yes, I can. Well, you know, we sneak down, jump over the fence as a little kid, grab our little pieces of fruit and run off. I'm sure the farmers were wondering, what's going on with these trees along the fence line? Because they're just not producing the fruit that the rest of them. <laughs> Never in my life, though, have I ever seen, did I ever drive past that day or night, whatever, walking, um, did I ever see any of those trees uproot, run around the paddock and just try and flap their branches and produce fruit. That's a a preposterous idea. But do you know what? A lot of Christians do that. That's exactly what they do. They're uprooted. They're running around. They're trying to be patient, joyful, loving. And then they get home and they're like, (laughs) because people are so unlovely. (laughs) Not realizing that actually that's, you can't bear fruit that way. It comes back to that place of, are you poor in spirit? And can you recognize that you have to yield to the Holy Spirit and abide in Him, that fruit comes out. So if you learn to abide in Jesus, you'll actually see patience and joy and start manifesting. And you won't have to try and be that way. You will just become it. The other thing about it is, I don't know if you recognized what it says there. It says it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Holy The Spirit is given to you as the Holy Spirit. So if you don't like holiness, if you reject holiness as something that you're supposed to pursue and desire, you're actually rejecting the Holy Spirit. I don't know why you might want to reject it. It's sometimes you find the things that you have to overcome. You you know, we sin for various reasons. One of them is because we actually like it. <laughs> you don't want to say that, but the reality is you like it. We like to get angry on the roads because I feel like I've been in, it's an injustice when people cut me off or they 
come up the back and they're like that far from me and I'm doing the speed limit and I can't get left and just what yeah we want to get angry or you want to gossip because you feel about someone because they did something to you you want to get it out you want to feel like I can get justice because I just want to I want to hurt them I want to hurt them so I'm going to slander them to someone else there's a benefit that we're getting from it and one of the things we have to learn to do is actually confess our benefits that we get from when we sin. Because what's happening is actually you're trying to satisfy a craving in your heart, a desire, a longing to be loved and accepted that's not being met. But you're going about trying to get it by illegitimate means. Slandering someone is not a way to get justice. Going to the Lord and saying, I am hurt. This person hurt me. I hate the things that they're saying and let the Lord come in and heal the wounds of your heart. These are the things why I say it's a hard task for people to face the things that are going on in their heart. But I can guarantee you if you take the courage to do that, not only will you start to be set free, but you will move into a place of holiness, which means you can come as Psalm 96 says and worship in the splendor of your holiness. I think we get scared about talking that we might be holy people because then people think, well, we'll get proud and we'll get full of ourselves. But no, if you understand that you are poor in spirit, but the Lord can cleanse you from all unrighteousness and that you can stand before him and know in your heart that there is nothing convicting you right now, that you are just, that connection is whole and that you have a willingness to yield a quickness to yield to the Lord that your heart is so inclined to him that you know when you pick things up when he can fix things in you that you will turn and say yes Lord I recognize this forgive me give me the strength heal me from the things that are causing me to do this and give me the strength Lord produce your fruit in my life that I might be free of all that and walk in the power of holiness holiness is really who we are, at least <laughs> seated in the heavens. <laughs> you may not feel holy, you may not look holy, you may do things that aren't holy, but this is where I cannot talk about holiness without pointing toward grace. I've mentioned it earlier before, but you have to understand the whole point, Christ went to the cross, was you, you might be cleansed of all sin and live free from judgment, live free from the power of sin, and even just be cleansed within that you could walk in that freedom for which Christ has set us free, which is a freedom of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And I didn't say this earlier, but when it gets to the end of it, it says against these things there is no law. There is nothing that condemn you or can convict you when you're operating in those ways. And that is a liberty that I think we've all tasted before, but perhaps never seen that this is something we can walk in. And again, I'm not saying that it means that suddenly you become without sin. That is never the case. I always hold First John where he says, anyone who says they have no sin, he deceives himself. You have to hold those things kind of together so humility remains in your heart. But nevertheless, the Lord also promises that if you are quick to confess, he is quick to forgive and he will cleanse and wash you from all unrighteousness. 
Most of this has been talking about holiness as a state of being, something desirable to be pursued. Grace is the empowerment to do it. And repentance, which I've touched on, is actually the process by which we take ourselves from the uncleanness and the defilement of sin into that place of holiness, which I obviously won't talk about today. Perhaps you might want to look at what repentance is really about. But if you're asking me, what do you think the Lord wants of His church? What has this season been about? Well, one of those things is He is looking for people who will set themselves apart for Him, where His presence can dwell upon Him, and He can do the work that He has wanted to do on this earth so that all lives would be saved and none would be lost. There are many people crying out for a revival. They have been for decades. They're crying out. They're even repenting for the nation. I just wonder if we just decided to have a revival of our own. <laughs> you can have a revival right now in yourself and it doesn't take much. You just turn to Lord, confess sin and ask Him to make you holy. You'll be revived. <laughs> and if enough of us do it, there's a revival and there we go. <laughs> Stop praying about it. Have one. Start in your own life, in your own house. I think I'll finish there. Why don't I pray for you? And we can have the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, you are indeed a beautiful and a wonderful God. And what makes you so desirable is in fact your holiness, the purity of who you are, the wholeness of who you are. And how wonderful it is to know that you are actually desiring that we would become like Jesus, holy, cleansed, set apart, righteous, full in the maturity of the faith, walking in the fruit of the Spirit, that our state of being from day to day, the normal way we behave is actually according to your righteousness. I pray you would bless your people here. Bless their heart. May their eyes be open to see just how beautiful you are and how desirable you are, and how holiness is all part of that. The holiness is actually something we long for. We want to see people holy in other people. Lord, put it as a, a, a desire in our hearts that we would be holy, and that we can trust that in the process you will not break a, you will not bruise a broke, uh, break a broken reed. You will not snuff out a smoldering wick, but you will indeed come to those who are contrite and humble of spirit and you will dwell and abide with them. And I just love the fact, Lord, that you come around in such gentleness and in all our brokenness lead us into wholeness and healing by the power of the death and resurrection of Christ.